Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the podcast devoted to all things Sonics. Sonic's Flight is a monthly podcast discussing current events, news, and topics of interest to the Sonics community. We aim to entertain and educate builders and pilots of Sonic's aircraft designs, inspiring them to complete and operate their aircraft safely and efficiently. Welcome everyone to the Sonic's Flight podcast. This is episode number 18, Auxiliary Fuel Systems. So one comment heard all the time from pilots is they really want more range and endurance. So this month, we're going to look at a few custom solutions that have been created by builders to provide more fuel capacity, and then hopefully point out a few things to consider, get you on the right track if you're going to develop your own custom fuel system. I'm your host, Jeff Schultz, builder and pilot of Sonic 604 and Sonic's 1374. Joining me again, as always, my two good friends, Gary Motley and John Gillis. John flies his YX from his eastern Colorado air park home and is best known for his custom modifications like his speed cowl and his tilt-back canopy. So, John, what have you been doing lately? Actually, I'm back in the air and trying to fly as much as I can. In between snowstorms? In between snowstorms. we got, uh, I had a four-foot drift in front of the hangar last weekend, um, but the runway is still, it just got cleared, and we're going to get another uh, four to eight tonight, so... Maybe not this weekend. Well, we're already getting into some of the warmer weather. Sometimes it's nice, but this morning it was probably in the high 60s. And by the time I left the office, it was 95 degrees and just brutal. We're not even into into the the meat of spring yet. We're already getting some hot temperatures. So I kind of wish maybe we had a snow drift here or there. Well, I'll package some up and send it to you. Awesome. Joining also Gary Motley. Gary flies his Aero V-powered Sonics Hound Dog out of Denver, Colorado. Has over 600 hours and much of it in cross-country flying. So, Gary, uh, tell me about your next cross-country that's coming up. Well, looking forward to coming down there, first of all, and mooching off of you for some free lodging and free beer on our way down to SunCon this year. Haven't been down there for about four years on my last trip, so... I'm crossing my fingers and toes and hoping all the weather systems are going to be at least uh, of a frequency and intermittent that we can keep crossing each other and get out before they hit us. So that's what I'm hoping for this weekend. Yeah, good deal. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, it's it's funny, uh, Colorado to Mississippi is about the same distance as uh, Mississippi down to to Florida. So this is just about the perfect halfway point for you. Yeah, it's about a 1,500-mile trip for me one way. And I like it because about the time you get here, you'll be really warmed up, you know. That way you're not going to be saying, hey, let's take the long way to Florida and go through Virginia or something. Hey, you never know. <laughs> All right, well, joining us tonight is our guest, Josh Bardell. Josh flies Sonics 864, a turbo Aero V-powered Tri-Gear Sonics, based out of the Chicagoland area. Josh enjoys using his Sonics as a traveling machine. And it's made some interesting modifications to make it more enjoyable and a little bit easier to travel via Sonics. So, Josh, welcome. Uh, good evening. Thanks for having me. So, first off, <laughs> we know you like to travel in your airplane, but um, just put this in perspective. What percentage of your flying do you think is just sort of local goofing off flying, kind of like I like to do, versus actually going someplace in it? Oh, wow. That's a great question. I would say if I were to look in my logbook and estimate it, um, my wife and I probably travel about 70% uh, cross-country travel and only about 30% local. 
So we have family in Arizona, Ohio, and we like to we like to just use it for vacation. So what interesting long cross countries are in your logbook? Um, I think our, our, you know, this is a last summer was our first summer in the airplane. We really didn't get it flying till April. Um, so we didn't get a lot of great trips. We, uh, have two great trips. I think that we enjoyed the most last summer were one, we, we flew from Chicago down to Southern Illinois university where we found a, uh, a wine trail where you get to go around a, a 20 mile loop and get it and get it hit about 15 wineries along the way with live music. So that was a, a great trip, but it was a local trip. You know, only took us, uh, I think, about two and a half hours to get there. And then our other one that we took was a tour to visit all of my wife's family, where we flew from Chicago to Pittsburgh to Cleveland to South Bend, Indiana, and then back to Chicago. And we did that over a, a, a two and a half day weekend. Nice. That sounds like that's working out quite nicely. Now, before you added extra fuel into your airplane... Were you already trying to make these same types of trips or, or did you know right from the start that you needed to have the extra gas to really use it the way you wanted? Yeah, we knew as we were building the airplane that we would want some extra gas. Um, predominantly, we were trying to go nonstop Chicago, Cleveland, uh, where her family lives. So for that, we actually started with a six and a half gallon aux tank. Thought we could get there, uh, which worked out great when you're flying east, but it couldn't get us home without the stop. And so that's when we really started getting creative with with tanks and pumps. And what's the distance between those two points? Uh, for us, it's about uh, 380 nautical. So you're burning how much fuel? Uh, we burn uh, right around 6.2 to 6.3 gallons per hour. And that's with normally aspirator or turbo? Or turbo. Okay. Yeah. And, and part of that is um, we, we have a little bit heavier of an airplane. Uh, you know, with the, with the, the nose gear, uh, the turbo added significant weight. And then by the time we throw in, uh, two, uh, two duffel bags of, of luggage, us and, and fuel, uh, we're running it and fly at max gross, uh, on a regular basis. All right. Good deal. Let's, uh, let's, uh, before we get into the meat of auxiliary fuel, let's go down the list of, uh, recent news. There was a, uh, a recent discussion on sonicsbuilders.net about, Building in wing twist, if you're not careful. Were you guys following that thread? I saw I saw bits and pieces of it, yeah. I guess the basic premise of, of the original question was, uh, how hard is it to build a straight wing? Do you have to really worry about not doing it perfectly and then building in some kind of twist? So I thought that was an interesting question. But if I just sort of mentally survey the people I've talked to, Everybody says that it's actually fairly easy to build a very straight and true wing. What did you guys find when you were building? Well, I know I obsessed over it. I mean, I'm using you know, when you start using those digital scales uh, in protractors, and you get down to you know 0 0.01 degrees or whatever it is, you can really you can really start chasing your own tail for a while. Uh, finally, you have to do realize that yeah, it looks pretty straight. I think that's good. Let's button it up and get going. So you put a lot of time and care into getting it uh, as perfect as you could. And, yeah, it was uh, pretty nerve-wracking. You know, fortunately, I had to say my plane did true out. It doesn't require any trim tabs or offsets on, on any of the control surfaces. So I got pretty lucky the first time. Mm -hmm. Josh, what did you find when you were building yours? Actually, I uh, bought my kit um, with the wings completed. So I, uh, I hope they're straight. She flies straight. 
Okay. Uh, John, uh, when you were putting yours together, what did you see? Well, it's ditto with Josh. I got my kit with the wings done. Um, they look straight. They fly straight. I don't have any trim tabs. Yeah, okay. And having gone through this myself, um, I, I think that as long as you're just paying attention, whether you build it on the bench using levels or you build it vertical on sawhorses, uh, which Sonics has, advocates in their builder seminars, I think it's actually, with a little bit of care, it's actually pretty easy to get the wing almost spot on. Uh, if you totally ignore it, anything goes. But normal care that a routine builder is going to give, I think they're going to come out perfect. And so I don't think this is something that you need to be super concerned about, especially dreading getting into it. I think you just jump in, give it reasonable amount of care, and it's going to turn out just fine. What do you think, Gary? What do you think? Well, again, it's such a major piece that you're really hoping and praying you didn't screw something up and, and miscalculate something. But, yeah, I think probably I've not heard of any major problems. I think most of the other problems we have uh, with trim systems has to be something different other than just built-in wing twist. Okay. Well, I thought it was an interesting topic. Uh, I think a lot of the advice came with that, along that line. Nobody really tackled the how hard is it to build a a true wing, they kind of gravitated into the techniques that you would use in order to build a straight wing, which is good. But uh, I thought it was worth a mention that this is not something that you need to be afraid of. You got to do it right, but don't don't be afraid of it. Just get into it and it'll be fine. Yeah, I think there's probably at least three different ways to do the wings. And I think some of it depends on what the geometry of the wing skeleton is itself. Uh, you know, using the levels between the front and rear spars worked out pretty well. Uh, on the Sonics, but not so much on on the current build that I just finished. I had to do it a little bit differently. But again, I, I'm I'm thinking everything's still going to work out. We'll find out shortly. Yeah. Okay. Well, good deal. Well, let's uh, let's get right back into the main topic here. So, Josh, I'm going to kick it over to you and uh, give us a little bit of your flying background. Uh, tell us how you got interested in the Sonics, and then. Uh, you know, go through the point where you were ready to start actually using your airplane uh, the way you envisioned as a traveling machine. Um, let's see. I, I got into flying Oh, back when I was about 19 years old. I was offered an internship at United Airlines. It was really my first experience around airplanes. Uh, my father had dabbled in uh, private pilot, so I flew a couple times with him when I was very young. But I, you know, was so young, it really didn't leave an impression on me. Uh, but when I had my internship at United, I realized what the lifestyle was at the time. This was, of course, pre-9-11. And it got me really interested in becoming a commercial pilot. So I started taking uh, flying lessons and, and started and worked at United for seven years in, in the finance department. And during that time, acquired my private pilot's license and started building up time there. And uh, have just accumulated hours over the, you know, the last 15 years. Uh, just as a private pilot, uh, 9-11, of course, changed the airline industry, and I realized that uh, it was no longer a, a career choice that I wanted to go after. But I was interested in, in finding a, a kit and building my own airplane. So that's, uh, that led me to Sonics. I was looking at various kits, and for us it was, what is the most economical kit that would fit our basic needs? And at the time, was we wanted to just have something that could could fly reasonably to our family at, at a decent speed at an economical value. So when we looked at it, 
Uh, it really only came down to a few manufacturers. And in Sonics, if if you do it if you do it right and you do it well, can be a very economical airplane to own. And that's uh, that's where we led us to where we're at today. All right. So we talked about a couple of your trips, but um, I, I guess now that you've been doing it for a year or so, how would you rank your overall satisfaction with with getting to where you wanted to be using your Sonics? Uh, we've been very, very pleased with getting to uh, visit our families. Uh, my wife's family in Cleveland uh, is a fantastic, just uh, a quick hop across the lake. Uh, we go around the south side of the lake and over. It's been working really well for us at a, at a great at a great economical value. So I would say from a satisfaction of the airframe, I'm in, incredibly impressed. Um, fortunately, my wife and I are, are very small and light, so we're able to uh, really load up the airplane with our weekend goodies and extra fuel and, and get to where we want to go. Uh, I think this year is probably where we're really going to stretch the airplane. Uh, I would like to fly it to Arizona, San Diego. Uh, we're going to do a trip up uh, northern Wisconsin, really kind of see what the, the the long distance travel in a small airplane will get us. Well, that's cool. I, I like it. Um, I think a lot of people have this vision that they're going to do that. They're going to get out and travel and they're going to go places. And then uh, the realities of life kind of roadblock them and they never do. So I'm glad to see that you guys are getting after it and right away too. That's great. Yeah, we've been, we've been really happy. I think we took uh, six or seven trips last summer once we got it airborne and uh, this, the airworthiness granted, we flew roughly about 120 hours over eight months. Um, I'd like to try to see if I can break 200 hours this summer in it. Uh, we do tailor back our, our flying during the winter because Chicago is not the friendly, not the friendly city to fly. Gary, he's uh, he's giving you a run for your money. You're going to have to step it up if you're going to stay ahead of Josh. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, it's it's getting tougher and tougher these days to keep up with the young guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that takes us into the 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 really the main topic we're going to spend some time, and that is, uh, I guess, the first thing is why would you really consider putting an auxiliary fuel system. We know the Sonics has a single uh, tank mounted in the forward fuselage, uh, like a header tank. We know that that has some advantages. It's simple. It's it's very direct, has some advantages mm-hmm. and crashworthiness. So so why would a builder go against all that and, uh, and go into uncharted territory? Josh, why don't you set this up for us? Uh, for us, it was pretty simple. We couldn't get to some of the basic trips that we wanted to uh, without having to stop. And what we found, particularly since we live right under O'Hare Airport, um, you know, it takes us a little while to, to get out so we can climb to a nice cruise altitude. And by the time we would get to the cruise altitude, we just get comfortable and turn the autopilot on. And then we're looking at the fuel tank going, well, looks like we need to find an airport to get down and get some, some, some more gas at and then do it all over again. And, and on a trip from Chicago, we're about an hour northwest of Chicago to her family, which is an hour east of Cleveland, um, it really turned what was a, you know, three-hour trip into a four-hour trip. And that's that's really the time we didn't want to lose. And so that's where we started uh, doing our research on adding an aux tank and, and what would that entail and how much range could we get out of it. Yeah, so what you're getting around, uh, longer range, 
uh, allows you to get there faster because you have to stop less often for fuel. And Gary, this is something that you and I have talked a lot about. Um, if you have to stop less often, uh, even if you're going a little bit slower in terms of cruise speed, if you just stop left often, you really can knock out those longer trips, can't you? Yeah, we've, we've certainly noticed that between you, myself, and John Gillis. You know, I have the normally aspirated turbo, and, and my my legs are, can be considerably longer than the guys with the turbos or the jabaroos. There's also another component of longer range, uh, and that's the added safety margin. So, hmm. um, Gary, I think uh, we, we talked about this, well, in one of our previous shows just came up, where if you have to kind of hang around waiting for options, uh, extra fuel on board allows you to get someplace where those options you might be able to actually implement. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I agree completely with that. That happened to me coming up into Oshkosh uh, this past year. It was my inaugural trip with the Sonics into Oshkosh. And as you know, we had a lot of weather on Sunday uh, and that created a log. And although it's a quick flight for me from Chicago to Oshkosh, I actually filled up the header tank and the full aux tank and ended up sitting in a holding pattern for an hour and a half. And it was that extra fuel that kept me. So when I landed, I wasn't, I wasn't pushing that safety boundary at all. Well, and Jeff, um, you know, my primary mission with my long trips with my Sonics is down into West Texas. And you just don't, I mean, there can be a hundred miles between airports down there. And so having options, what I was having to do before my aux tank was having to stop well before I was going to even get close to my bingo range and refill, you know, and, and only put in, you know, you know, eight or seven or eight gallons just to top off. Now with my auxiliary tank, I can push it a little further and get to that next airport. Right. You find yourself in a situation where you, you can't afford <laughs> to pass by that last gas station because otherwise exactly. you're going to push it to the next one. And, and you don't want to be, you know, sweating it out saying I only got, you know, a half hour of fuel and I'm, I got a headwind and I don't know if I'm going to make it. And you're sweating it out all the way down. So, or that cloud layer comes in unexpectedly and now you're sitting on, you know, trying to find a hole to go into. Yeah. It, you know, cruising between here and Oshkosh, you, you, you can almost spit and hit a, an airport that you can get refuel, but. There are parts of the United States that are just really spread out. Yeah, western Kansas is a good example of that. There's, you know, between eastern Colorado and western Kansas, there might be an airport every 70 miles uh, in places. And uh, you can't afford to bypass very many of those before you just have to stop and top off. Well, you guys, most times it looks like we're really talking mostly about our, our, our vintage Sonics aircraft by now instead of the B models. Because we know the B models have come out with a 20-gallon tank. So do you think that uh, that by itself, then, for the new builders, is pretty much going to solve most of the dilemmas we're talking about tonight? Well, I think it helps a lot, Gary. Um, you know, I, I set my fuel burn at 22 gallons with my auxiliary tank. So that's the, the 16 I claim in the main tank and then 6 gallons in the uh, auxiliary. So at 20 gallons, yeah, I don't know if you'd, you'd need much more. I mean, my bladder can't handle much more than 20 gallons of fuel. Do <laughs> you think that would settle your needs if you had one, Josh? Um, I'll be honest. We, we have talked extensively about, you know, when we want to grow to a slightly bigger airplane to get a little more room. Um, you know, and the B model is, a, is a, another great, it's just a great airframe. 
you can slap on a little bit more powerful of a motor. Uh, we've actually talked that a B model with the 20 gallons up front was, could we actually squeeze in a 20 gallon aux tank in the back and, and really have some <laughs> legs with the airplane? So, uh, you know, I'm, You're turning I'm it into an RV until I can get to uh, uh, 800 nautical mile range and, and really okay, get up Josh. and get going. Now, you're, now you're a much younger now we're man than play us. that kind of game. I actually had a mall that I had custom built for me, and I had auxiliary tanks on it, and I could go a thousand miles or ten hours. So how about that one? That's impressive. That, <laughs> that is impressive. I actually did it a few times as well. Yeah, but you waddled to the the FBO when you got out, didn't you? No, I carry those little nice little gizmos because <laughs> <laughs> you needed them. All right. Well, th there's one other thing that comes to mind, um, and this maybe is a small consideration, but it, it's on the list anyway, and that's the cost savings. So if you burn a lot of MoGas, like I do, um, I like to be able to top off and, and uh, carry with me at least a starting load of, of cheap MoGas. And if I can stop mm -hmm. in some place and fill up with MoGas at the airport, even better, I can top it up and I can fill all my mm -hmm. auxiliary tank up, my main tank, and take advantage of that cheaper gas. So I think that there is a cost savings component to being able to just store more gas when you do stop for fuel. Yeah, I agree. I think I think that's a great a great point. You know, we use it sometimes if we know we're going to be flying, you know, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday on on a couple little local trips during the day. Uh, we'll actually just fill up both tanks because for us, um, our fuel farm is at the opposite end of the airport. Uh, so you know, you sit there and fire it up to taxi all the way down to the far end of the long runway, shut it down and, and fill up 16 gallons. And just doing that two, three times with the extra fuel, you know, we're maybe only doing one, one, one run to the tank on a weekend instead of two or three. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's run through um, what, what we think the major considerations are that pilots ought to consider when they're trying to, to get their head wrapped around their own needs in an auxiliary fuel system. So the very first one, obviously, is defining your mission. We talk a lot about this in other areas, but your mission should drive your your fuel needs. Everybody wants the, the giant long-range tanks with 1,000-mile uh, endurance and all that kind of stuff, but you really need to be honest about what do you need because there's going to be a trade-off for whatever decision you make. So honestly assess your mission and make sure that you're doing the system that, that addresses that mission. And Josh, you talked about your mission, and just kind of go through how how you analyzed your mission, and that drove your design decisions. Yeah, um, you know, for us, like I said, the predominant was uh, we really wanted to be able to get to our family on a nonstop trip, and we knew that the the A model Sonics with the turbo were, were burning a little bit higher fuel rate, obviously, than the naturally aspirated. Uh, was going to force us that stop, and it was going to force us into Toledo as about as far as we could make it without an aux tank option, which has higher priced fuel to begin with. So for us, the purpose was very, very specific. How do we get to an hour east of Cleveland uh, on a nonstop, both out and back, uh, given winds and weather consideration? Uh, I don't fly down to a 30-minute reserve. I've kind of set mine at, at a 45 uh, during day VFR. And uh, we'd like to land within, with an hour left in the tanks is our, is our goal. Uh, so for us, you know, the purpose was very specific. Um, then it was how much fuel can we fit uh, safely within our weight, our CG, uh, still leaving cargo space 
and uh, and considering, of course, as we just said a few moments ago, what can our bladders handle? Yeah, so there's a good example of a very specific mission that drives your decisions. And I think for me, it's a little bit simpler. My mission was simply to give me a little bit more time in the air so that I could take advantage of, of other options as I got. So I just wanted to get another hour of flight time. And I figured that that hour will allow me to do some things, but I don't have anything particularly in mind. And I knew I wasn't going to do this every time I flew, so I wanted a way to get an hour of extra gas only during when I wanted it. And that that mission drove me into my solution. And what, can you go into a little bit overall, what is, what is your solution that you're currently running again? Well, uh, several of us um, in the Colorado area, we all have very similar portable boat tank type solutions. <sighs> I'll just kick it over to John. Uh, John, why don't you... Give us the rundown on that uh, system. Yeah, you know, well, I, uh, I designed mine basically off of Jeff's. Um, I think I improved it a little bit. But um, the latest dinghy tanks for, uh, you know, the, the red tanks that you put in your, um, your little outboard, uh, you know, John boat or something, are uh, the new EPA requirements require them to be zero gas um, vented. And so they're very well sealed. Um, and the ones that I've, or the one I've chosen and the one that Mike Needenthal has is it fits into the V uh, bow of a, of a small dinghy. Well, yeah. the neat thing about that is if you have a center stick Sonics, like me and Mike have, you can put that tank in the passenger seat and strap it down with your seatbelt. And the way the shape of the tank is, um, you have full deflection of the the stick you have an armrest that you can put on top of it and um it uh even if the vent is open it will not uh vent any of the fumes into the cabin uh the way that's designed because of the cpa requirement you can even tip it upside down um and it won't leak at all um what jeff jeff's axe or at addition to this was to put a little 12 volt uh cheap fuel pump that we plug into our cigarette lighters and pump the gas out of that into a uh, into the tank through the upper um, oh. the upper uh, fitting in the in the sonics tank and I have a both Mike and I have a quick disconnect so uh, we can disconnect it and it seals up uh, so when we're not using it, it's it's uh, you know it's quick to easy to to put it in, hook it up, and run it. Uh, we do put in line a clear fuel filter so that we can see when the fuel when it's no longer pumping fuel. When you are pumping it, you plug it in, you open the vent, and you'll see the fuel going through the fuel filter. And when air goes through the fuel filter, you know your tank is empty, and then you just unplug it and disconnect everything. So that's basically the system. So one that's of the excellent. things that, that we use, um, it, it, it's super easy to bring it in. Uh, it, you completely remove almost everything when the tank is not installed and not in use. You have the pigtail going to the main fuel tank with the quick disconnect on it, and that's it. Everything else stays in the hangar when you're not using it. And that was really part of what I wanted for my mission I only wanted to use it at certain times, so I didn't want to carry the weight, and, and I didn't want to use the space when I was just doing local flying. And so, again, that mission is what drove a portable solution 
that you can just take and, and install on those cases where you did need it? Um, the one thing that um, the reason that I put mine in my uh, passenger seat is I have a WAX, and I don't know if my WAX is a little ta- more tail heavy than others, but I think all of us in the WAXs that have put in the uh, the additional uh, supports that Sonics required us to do in the tail, our our WAXs are very aft CG uh, heavy. And so putting any kind of a fuel tank into the luggage compartment or behind the seat, really, it just destroys your CG. So having it in the passenger seat, um, you know, maintains that CG level. And um, so I, obviously I can't carry a passenger when I'm doing this. But uh, no, normally when I'm doing cross countries, I'm not, uh, I'm not carrying a passenger. All right. Well, there's a few other considerations I want to run down. Uh, the, the next one is weight. You need to have a, sort of a balanced approach to just adding weight through whatever system you end up designing. You need to recognize that whatever you put into the airplane is going to add to the, the empty weight of the airplane, all those components that you have to add, that's, that's going to add up, and you need to at least be conscious of the effect that you're having. There's certainly ways to, to minimize the weight gain, but you need to just approach it from a very methodical standpoint. Uh, secondly, not just the weight you add, but where you add it. John, like what you were talking about, weight in your airplane was much more acceptable in certain areas than in other areas. Yeah, right. If I put it in the in the luggage compartment with a passenger, it, it would it would make me very at the very aft limit of my CG, and any luggage then would also, you know, just make that even worse. Yeah, I think that's an important point, you know, and that was one of the things that I built a little Excel model uh, before we decided how much of everything we could take. And we put in, you know, my my weight, my wife's weight, you know, full fuel, the empty weight of the airplane. And then we just started adding max baggage and then how many additional pounds of ox fuel could we have if it's in the cargo hold at a 98 inch arm till till we hit the aft CG. Um, and for us, you know, we're running the uh, traditional Sonics with the nose gear and the turbo. It throws the weight so far forward that we actually run out of physical space before we can actually go aft on the CG for us. Yeah, that's a great point, too. Some configurations are going to be more accommodating for that auxiliary fuel. Um, and, and I think that what you just outlined, a heavier engine installation such as a Turbo Aero-V or a Jabiru or maybe one of the other options out there, uh, with a Tri-Gear and, uh, and all that stuff up forward, it's going to protect that CG envelope when you start adding weight behind the seat. And then the other, uh, I guess, point along weight is uh, you need to be mindful of just your overall gross weight. Uh, so I won't get into the, the debate about what builders should set their maximum gross weight at, but just to recognize that Obviously, every pound of gas you add into your into your airplane is going to reduce the useful load that's left over for taking people and other stuff. And we'll just kind of leave it at that. You know, and, and one thing also, Jeff, um, that I'm mindful of when I carry the extra fuel is as soon as I'm able to transfer that fuel from that auxiliary tank into the main, I do so because it helps my CG and uh, uh, handling. Um, you know, the plane can be a little bit heavy 
aft for me when I have the full auxiliary tank in. And so I want to get that fuel back up into the front um, as quickly as I can, uh, which is usually, usually within the first hour of my flight. And then it, it flies just like a normal Sonics after that. Yeah, I think that is a, a great point to make. Even though we don't have the aft CG, um, I have in my checklist that every hour we transfer over four gallons of the aux fuel, and it's set up on a timer on the EFIS to alert me that it's time to start the aux transfer, run for 20 minutes with the aux pump on, transferring that fuel, and then shut it down. And I think that is important because you can never be, you know, uh, con- too conservative when it comes to AFCG, even if you're towards the back of the envelope. Well, and, and this came up once with, with uh, Mike Needenthal. He was running his uh, tank in the luggage compartment. We were up in the mountains, and he had a failure of the, the pump to transfer the fuel. And so he was getting low on his main tank but couldn't transfer the fuel out of his aft tank. And his plane got pretty squirrely by the time he got back home because he couldn't transfer that fuel up. Mm. Yeah, so part of your design, part of your analysis, and then your testing ought to be what happens if, if that's the case. Uh, if, if you're going to get yourself into a dangerous situation where you burn your main tank all the way down to a certain critical level and you're unable or you forgot to transfer you probably need to figure that out and be ready for it so that you don't have a, a very bad surprise when you come in and try to make that landing. Yes, I, I think that's absolutely a, a great point. And, you know, with, with a, a nice CG model um, in Excel, you can find out exactly how far can or can't you uh, extend that if your pump does fail. And then I'm just going to make a plug for phase one flight testing. Because if you have never flown your airplane through the full range of CGs, which, by the way, you're supposed to, uh, if you've never done that, then you may not know how close or how far you really are because you've never experienced those handling. Um, So this is not to say go out there and fly your airplane in a dangerous way. It's to say you need to become very familiar with the full capabilities and envelope of your airplane. And the regs require us to do that anyway. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, for, for us on our airplane, uh, we have tested, you know, if the aux fuel tank were pump were to fail and we couldn't transfer, uh, we cannot drop below six gallons in the header tank with a full aux fuel and full baggage without getting to our aft CG limit. Um, so at that point, we know our procedure is if the pump were to fail, then we have to knock one hour of or 30 minutes of flight time off. Uh, the the airplane to get down before we get to a six-gallon minimum. Right, and if you take that logic to its uh, ultimate conclusion, you write that into your POH such that during this phase of flight, uh, you essentially have to carry fuel ballast in order to stay within. Once you get rid of your auxiliary fuel, then it takes you to a different regime, and you no longer have to carry that minimum forward fuel ballast to keep you within range. Correct. Yeah, once you're able to dump your auxiliary, then... You're, you're fine. You're back in your normal flight envelope. And then this yep. kind of takes back to the, the point we made a couple shows ago about the, the second owner having very little experience in the airplane with the particular handling and uh, a pitch for why we ought to be documenting and very clearly laying this stuff out, especially if we're going to sell it. Uh, those future owners, they need to know these types of things. They don't need to have a problem 
on that first flight when they're trying to get home. Well, and, and Jeff, that's one of the benefits of me having my uh, buddy tank next to me instead of behind me is it's just like having a, a 50 pound passenger sitting next to me if I can't transfer it. Yeah, excellent point. All right. Uh, the next consideration that comes to mind is uh, the design of the system. So not so much the components and all that, but you want to make sure that the design is going to be safe. And safe means a couple of different things. So, Josh, when you were going through yours, what things went through your mind in order to make a safe design? Yeah, for us, um, I had a, uh, probably a whole laundry list. That would be a whole nother, uh, a whole nother podcast from a safety um, you know, I wanted, I wanted, um, like you guys said, a, a way to do a quick disconnect. So I, if, if there is any type of, of issue, I can quickly reach with one hand while strapped into the cockpit and disconnect it from my main take. So I do not induce risk to my main, my main fuel source. Um, the second was, you know, it, you know, heaven forbid, you know, you plan for the worst and, 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 and hope for the best, which was if there were to be an impact, what would be the result of having a tank inside the cabin behind me? And how would I need to design that structurally, um, was an important component as well. Right. You don't and want to turn a, that into a projectile that gets launched around and does damage just because it's a big hunk of mass, then it hits you. Exactly, exactly. And then, of course, CG, which I know we've already covered, is ensuring that I'm not putting a system in that is going to, if I'm not uh, staying very on top of it, going to induce risk from a CG perspective if I get distracted in the cockpit. Yeah, and then there's there's also a piece of the design, which is what materials are you going to use? A rotationally molded plastic tank is probably a good choice. Uh, A commercially available either stainless steel or aluminum tank is probably a pretty good choice from a crash worthiness standpoint. Mm -hmm. But some of the other designs that are out there, like a PVC tank, some builders will put PVC wing tanks. Uh, That's probably not a bad place for them, but you would not want to do that inside the cockpit where in a crash, they're going to rupture and potentially spill all over you. So you got to think about the materials that you're, you're going to use as well. Yeah, that's I think an important point. I know, um, there's another uh, couple of pilots out there that have done a similar tank setup that I have, and they've gone with the aluminum uh, tank. I chose to go with the the poly spun uh, to match kind of what the Sonics factory is doing from a header perspective. Is you just don't hear of of those tanks rupturing that often. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, also next up is uh, ease of use. If the system is a bear to use you're probably not going to use it, and you're going to defeat yourself despite your best efforts. So you want to make sure that it's convenient and and easy and spill-proof and all those types of things. Well, Jeff, I can put mine, <clears throat> I can put mine in in literally you know, 15 seconds into my passenger seat, buckle it in with the, the passenger seat belt, and uh, hook it up to the system and be ready to go. And then, likewise, I can remove it in about the same amount of time. So my easy use on my system is is pretty good. Plus, it has a big old handle on the front of it, so I can muscle it in and out. Yeah, I was definitely something to consider. When I was first looking at the tank for, for our airplane was... Do we use, you know, one of the um, marine, the marine tanks like like you guys have? 
Um, the challenge for us was, of course, then uh, you want to put it in the, the seat, and I, I limit who I bring with, which is traditionally my my wife, who I fly with most often. Um, for us, we we used brackets to mount the the tank with quick releases, with the idea that when we're not flying on a cross country trip, we would take it out. But as you said, Jeff, getting behind the cargo, undoing a couple of bolts, disconnecting it from the fuel filter and fuel line. Um, we found that it, for us, it's just easier to leave it in there. And for the, the 10 pounds that it adds, we just leave it in all the time. And if we don't want to add fuel to it because we're doing something local, uh, I just know that I have 10 pounds additional weight that's that's there. So convenience, I think, is an important factor. And also, how, how important is it for you to remove that weight when you don't want it? Well, an ease of use also, uh, it, it doesn't mean just fueling. It means how do you... Uh, operate the tank? Can you get to all the controls? Can you can you do that? And then how do you inspect it to make sure there's not a problem? If it's buried away someplace where you can't inspect it, that might be something yeah. to consider as well. So again, you just want to make sure you think it all through, and it's actually going to be usable the way you envision it will be. And one of the problems I saw with uh, Mike's behind-the-seat marine tank was, you know, pulling it out, because we had to pull it out onto the wing to fuel, refuel, and that is a that's a quite a chore, especially for someone who's not in really good shape. Because you're you're talking about what I don't know how many pounds that is six pounds. It's, it's 40 uh, what thirty pounds. forty pounds of uh, weight yeah. to throw around into a uh, very tight baggage area. Um, so you know that yeah. that's something to consider. I don't know how you feel yours, Josh. Uh, do you have some sort of a long neck? That you just extend or what? I actually chose not to. I know uh, Bill Larson has a similar setup to me, and he actually used a filler neck to the side of the turtle deck, so he just fills from outside the airplane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We actually have the, the poly tank sits um, underneath the, the rear crossbar, and the neck um, is right behind that, that, that rear crossbar and, and sits about one inch below. So it's pretty easy for us. Um, I just climb into the airplane when the fuel truck comes around, they hand me the hose, um, and we, you know, put it right in the fuel neck. I can then visually see as it's filling to make sure I don't overfill the tank at all. And, uh, then I just hand the fuel hose back. Uh, if, if at times I'm using, you know, gas cans, I have a six-gallon gas can that I can bring, you know, in the back of the car, um, and that easily just, again, fits right in. And uh, to date, knock on wood, I have not had any uh, fuel spilling issues with the aux tank. So you are in the airplane when you're refueling, not leaning in from the side? <clears throat> Correct, yes. Okay, that's probably the key thing there. Okay, and John, yeah. you mentioned fueling. Uh, your your tank um, just sitting on the seat, you can probably lean in from the side and do that fairly easily, or do you have to climb in as well? No, I can uh, I can actually fuel it with the tank still strapped to the uh, to the seat belt. But what I prefer to do is it's so easy for me to just pop the seat belt, pick the tank, especially when it's empty. You pick the tank up, either put it on the wing or put it on the ground, and then fuel it right there. Um, I do get some strange looks from uh, the fuel truck guys filling up, a, you know, a boat tank uh, on the ground and putting it back in my passenger seat. But um, that way, if I if I overspill anything, I could just leave it out and let it 
you know, the evaporate outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and with mine in the baggage compartment, there's no practical way to fuel it in the baggage compartment. So you have to grab the tank, pull it out, set it on the ground or on the wing route, fuel it there, and then maneuver it back into place. And as you pointed out, 40 pounds uh, trying to maneuver into the baggage compartment. There, there's a technique that makes it work, but you, you do have to be careful that you don't strain your back trying to maneuver that thing into place. All right, what about odors? Um, John, have you ever had any kind of gas odor from your auxiliary tank when you're flying? No, I'm actually really impressed with these new, um, the the vent-free or the, the odor or vapor-free no, no, marine no. tanks. They're not venting to the air, but they do. They vent in that they'll suck the fuel out of them, but they don't vent back into the uh, into the atmosphere. So even if you know, one thing that if you ever notice with the fuel tank is if you leave it in the sun, um, they'll they'll blow it up quite a bit. Um, these guys will hold their they won't they won't vent out even if they overheat in the sun. So they're they're pretty inc- impressive these new uh, marine tanks. Okay, and Josh, how are you venting your tank, and does that cause any odors to come back into the cockpit? Yeah, I don't have any odor issues uh, with our ox tank. The way I designed it was I took, a, I think it was a 1996 Chrysler fuel cap plastic one, um, and we actually just drilled a hole in the top and tapped it. So off of the fuel cap itself, I have a vent line with a quick connect hose um, to easily be able to remove and the, the cap to fill, but when I, when I seal it up, seals up tight, connect the quick connect, and then I have a hose that goes down right behind the seat back, right out the bottom of the fuselage. And so the idea is, you know, if you had a full tank, you rotate, you have a little bit of splashing or anything like that, it could vent out, or during the hot summer and it has any expansion, it would vent right out the bottom of the fuselage. Uh, and, and so it, it's, it's odor-free for us. It's been really nice. Yeah, good. I think that's important because you don't want to be smelling fuel vapors. It just kind of ruins the whole experience. Plus, it would mask any kind of problem that was developing. Okay, and the last thing kind of on the list here, uh, and Josh, you brought this up, is uh, considering your electrical demand when you're thinking about your system. So tell me what you had in mind when when you made that comment. Yeah, again for us because I wanted uh, I wanted the airplane to be predominantly a cross country flyer. Um, I added a lot of um, what I'm going to call redundant systems and additional features. So from the EFIS to the autopilots, uh, I wanted TSO position lights, strobe lights, uh, taxi lights, landing lights, uh, two radios, and when you start adding all of that up. Um, you can get into a draw problem when you're trying to pump fuel from an aux tank in the back up to the main header tank. Uh, so what we did is I created a spreadsheet that listed the max draw of every one of the components from the transponder all the way down to the aux pump and uh, found that depending on your setup, if you're using HID lights, for example, uh, non-LED strobe lights and position lights, uh, with an Aero V that only has the, the 20 amp alternator, and so much of that being dedicated for the secondary ignition, etc., you can overdraw and start pulling off of the battery uh, when you're running all of your systems on. Uh, so for us, what we ended up doing was going to the LED landing light, taxi lights, the LED positions, LED strobes, 
um, and, and running more efficient instrumentation that allowed us to go um, to everything running at max and still be able to run the aux tank on a 20 amp alternator to pump while I'm in route with, without having to turn off autopilot or ad additional systems. I think it's an important consideration to make sure so you don't drain a battery and find yourself in trouble you know, at altitude. Figuring that out ahead of time certainly is going to alleviate um, good modern equipment is going to go a long way to preserving your, your alternator capacity. Absolutely. All right. Well, one final thing comes to mind, and that is keeping track of your total fuel capacity. Because with your auxiliary tank and your main tank, uh, that's a little harder to do. The normal way of measuring fuel in the Sonics is one of three ways. Either your sight glass, you know, through the panel, the capacitance-style fuel probe installed in the tank, which feeds your electronic instrument, or a fuel totalizer. But each one of those has pluses and minuses, and you're going to have to come up with a scheme to make sure that you really do how much, know how much gas is available to you in that main tank at any given time. That was an important consideration for us. Um, we actually, I installed the, the red cube uh, that I use for my, my uh, fuel monitoring with the, of course, the um, transducer inside the tank to, to measure my fuel level. And what we did is I know a lot of, I took this off, of course, all the other builders that have done this is uh, when I first built the airplane, I put in one gallon increments and then marked it with a permanent marker on the bottom of the main tank. Uh, so then what we do is as we fly, like you said, once I start getting down and I've got five gallons burned off, I'll transfer four in and I'll continue to do that till I burn through all 12 gallons, which is the current size of my ox tank uh, and have transferred it in. And then what we did is during phase one is I would check and measure how much fuel am I burning according to the EFIS and how much have I transferred. And then I'd come down on the ground and land and then fill up both tanks again and do the calculated measurement off of what the fuel truck gave me versus what I calculated I burned based off of the EFIS uh, to ensure that my readings are, are accurate. Um, and then what we can also do is having those permanent marker lines, if I were to ever have an electrical failure and, and lose my fuel tank, um, you know, and I'm, and I'm not over an airport I can easily divert to, um, I can look down and, and get a visual check on the first eight gallons that's available inside the, the, the main tank. So when you say transfer four gallons out of your auxiliary tank, what you really mean is you know how fast you transfer gas, so you can start your stopwatch, and in 20 minutes you know you transferred four gallons. That's exactly right. Um, I did several tests both on the ground and in the air where I would set a timer and then transfer and see how consistently uh, the pump that I chose would transfer from the aux tank into the main tank. And, and it's, it's fairly accurate, give or take a tenth of a gallon, that uh, for me 20 minutes transfers you know, four gallons of, of fuel. Okay, that's probably the simplest way. And if you keep track of it all, it probably works pretty well. The problem is if you're not paying attention or you forget <laughs> about something or you forget to start your timer and you get out of sync, then you need to have a way to, to be conservative and not overestimate how much fuel is in the main tank. Yeah, and that's where I, I rely on the, the EFIS is because as you can, as I fly, even when it crews, if I'm burning, you know, 6.1, 6.2 gallons per hour, 
um, I'm transferring at a rate faster than I'm burning. So I can actually see the fuel gauge on the EFIS slowly climbing from, you know, 10 gallons to, you know, and, and it'll climb all the way up and get to about 12 and a half gallons at that first transfer mark and then just shut off the aux tank when my timer uh, beeps in my headset. So you right. have the visual of the fuel gauge plus what you know on the timer, and they should stay pretty pretty in sync. So, John, I'm thinking of, uh, of an incident that, that you had with Mike where he started transferring too <laughs> early. So tell us about that. Yeah. Well, we're, uh, we're traveling back to Oshkosh together, and um, normally the way I do it is we'll fly for an hour, which is about which will burn about six gallons of, uh, out of our main tank. And then I'll, you know, start transferring and then I'll just transfer the entire amount of my six gallon auxiliary tank into the main tank. Uh, Mike started about 15 minutes early, about 45 minutes into the flight. And he started, he, he called me on the radio and he goes, uh, I'm starting to smell some gas. And I said, well, are you, did you transfer early? And he goes, yeah, I, I started about, 15 minutes before you. And what we surmised was he pumped all of his auxiliary. He filled up his tank and then dumped the rest through the, uh, the vent <laughs> on the main tank <laughs> underneath his belly into the yeah. atmosphere. So, uh, the, the way we do it though is, is a lot less sophisticated than, uh, Josh is we just, I wait an hour, I burn off my six gallons and then I just top it off with what I have in my tank. And, uh, that seems to work pretty well. Um, I set my fuel totalizer at 22 gallons instead of eight or 16, and uh, you know, based my my um, I, I I don't have a, a capacitance fuel probe, so I just base what uh, what it's calculating. I burn my burn rate is from the 22 gallons after I burn it. You know, when we started, uh, we had a six gallon ox tank, and I completely agree with you that that's the simplest way, and that's how we used to do it. Um, and you, you know, it, once you, once you've got six gallons gone, you can turn it on and you know, you'll burn a couple gallons, uh, while it's transferring. And so you just wait for the bubbles to come through the, the tube. Um, and, and that's where we had to, to get a little bit more complicated is when we went to the 12 gallon tank is I don't want to run my main tank down to, you know, three gallons before I transfer, just cause I like to keep that CG as far forward as possible. Yeah. The other possibility is to make some sort of fuel selector where you can you can burn off a of one or the other. But I really think in a Sonics, that's just adding all kinds of complexity that you just don't need. A little bit of management, keeping track of everything. Uh, we'll make it where it works out just fine, and you don't have valves that you got to worry about managing. Mm-hmm. On my Dynon, uh, I have a little bit different situation. I normally set my fuel level, my total fuel capacity, at 16 gallons. But if I go in, like, in flight, and I add the extra six gallons, it tends to reset some of my fuel uh, calculations. And so oh. I've talked to him about that. Um, I, I really have to set it to the full 16 plus 6 before I take off, and that way I have all of that fuel available. Because if I try and go and top it off while flying, it kind of resets me. It's a, it's just a, it's an annoyance, and it's not something that Dynon really ever anticipated that someone would want to do. Okay, that's interesting. I fly with the MGL, um, and as I add, it just adds to my endurance and my flight time that's available. So it doesn't reset anything for me. And Dynon has the ability to be more sophisticated with um, 
multiple feeds, uh, a fuel return line, putting fuel back in the tank. It'll do all that. It just never anticipated that someone would want to go into the menu and physically reprogram the computer in flight to add more gas, which is what I would be doing. So mm. it's not really a dig on Dynon. It's just kind of the way their menu system works. So I have to set it beforehand. And then I have to know that, hey, I don't really have that six gallons in the tank until I finish transferring. If something were to go wrong, I would need to know that uh, the indication on the panel is not necessarily what I really have available. Okay. So when you so to clarify, when you start your flight, it'll show that you have say twenty two gallons on your fuel level. Right. If I if I set it to that twenty two before I, I take off, then it will keep track of all my fuel used, time to empty, all those type of calculations. If uh, after an hour and a half I go into the menu, I add fuel. It'll reset my total fuel burned and all that. Okay. So it starts over at, you know, whatever the level is, but it starts over with zero fuel burned. So if I do it at a convenient break point, like at exactly one hour, then I can mentally sort of just do the math and do it. But it becomes very distracting if you do it at an hour and 37 minutes and you've got 58 minutes of fuel remaining and then you start transferring and you reprogram it and it all resets. So gotcha. just something else to think about. Play with your play with your instruments or maybe something a little wonky in there like like I find. Any other sort of general considerations come to mind that we want to throw out there? John, Gary, anything uh, you guys thinking about? Um, not particularly for me. Uh, you know, I can see that, you know, if I decide to put a turbo into my system, I may indeed have to do something like an extra tank as well with the fuel burns that I'm I've been seeing and hearing being reported. Um, again, I think it depends on what you want to do. You know, for us low, slow guys, naturally aspirated, with the fuel burns that I get and legs I can get easily, you know, three and a half, four hours, that's probably enough for me. But I can see where you guys are running the jabs and the turbos really do need extra fuel. So I suspect these guys making these new V models are going to be much happier uh, with the built-in capability. Yeah, one thing you didn't mention, Jeff, is there there was a manufacturer of uh, wing tanks for the Sonics. Um, I know that uh, our buddy out in San Diego has them. He got them before they, they quit making them. But uh, that's, that adds 10 gallons inside the lightning holes of the uh, just in front of the spar as in two uh, aluminum tubes that are sitting in those. And that's a really neat system. I wish uh, someone would come up with another uh, or start manufacturing again. Yeah, I think Josh is the king. I don't think I've heard of anybody getting 12 gallons auxiliary in the Sonics. So I think you're at the top of the hill. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll keep pushing it and seeing what we can get. <laughs> but I think 12 for us has really found the sweet spot of what we're looking for is, you know, we can safely fly again, you know, from, from the Cleveland to Chicago. Uh, still have plenty of fuel, so I think for for us that that total that total twenty eight gallons is is that sweet spot that we like. Um, plus, that's about all I can handle from a bladder perspective. Well, and all the guys that are uh, that have gone to Alaska, I think, have all had. You have to carry an auxiliary tank when you're going up from uh, all the way through Canada because there's just not that many fuel options. I really like those wing tanks. At the time they were being sold, I thought, well, you probably don't really need that. But now looking back on it, I can see where that may be worth spending a little bit of money on. Uh, you're right. It's too bad that they're not still being made. I, uh, I might give some thought to that myself. 
Well, you make them, yeah. I'll buy a set from you. Yeah, count me in. I would love to add those. <laughs> Primarily just because of the way the uh, the weight and balance would be. It'd be perfectly right on the center line. Yeah, and you don't lose any of your, your, your cargo capacity like, like we have had a little bit of limitations as a result of our aux tank. Yeah, so if somebody out there is looking for a product to market back to the community, uh, maybe that's the solution. Come up with another set of wing tanks, and maybe there's some people out there that'll buy them. All right, well, Josh, why don't you uh, just kind of wrap this up with your final thoughts on your design process, the choices you made, and ultimately kind of how you how you rack and stack your likes and dislikes, and then we'll we'll transition into some some final thoughts and advice. Yeah, um, like like we said during the earlier part of the the call, it's it's really around what are you what are you aiming for when you're when you're looking at an ox tank, and for us, it, the the choice was fairly clear and. and you know, concise is we needed to be able to take two people with a little bit of baggage and, and be able to cover, you know, at least 400 plus nautical miles with the, with the turbo. And we're very pleased with the way the setup is. Uh, we lost only about 20% of our baggage compartment. Uh, we have limited impact of the CG uh, as a result of the, the nose dragger and the turbo. Uh, we've been really happy with it. I think if I were to make any recommendations of of people adding it and considering that as a as a layout, would be make sure you pick out the right tank size uh, when you first purchase. Really think about how far you're going to fly. I've gone through three ox tanks and keep pressing it to to more and more gallons till we got to the final level we were happy with. Um, but you know. It's it's a great solution. They're they're all great solutions out there. It just really fits to what you need for your particular purpose of the airplane. But adding some extra fuel on a Sonics aircraft can really take it from a, a local around the patch type airplane to something you can comfortably, you know, fly across the country with limited stops. All right, John. Uh, thinking about your system, uh, what do you think the the big uh, pluses and minuses are, and and what would you advise someone thinking about a boat tank system? Well, the, the big plus on a boat tank system like I have is that you can completely remove it with, um, you know, no, uh, nothing in the cockpit except for the, the port in my panel where I plug it back in. And then you can sit on my shelf when I'm not doing any cross countries, which is, you know, 90% of the time. The negative thing is it takes my passenger seat up. So I can only do this when I'm flying uh, solo. But it also leaves my baggage compartment completely open for, you know, baggage. So um, I like—I actually kind of like my system pretty much. And I'm, I'm not unless I can get wing tanks, I'm going to stick with it. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, uh, we, you know, we spend a lot of time kind of comparing notes. For the way we do our missions, it's a great solution. And like you say, 90% of the time we don't need it, and so we don't have to carry it around. That's why I think that it's really helpful for everybody to go through this mission analysis for their own thing. You don't want to put in a system like Josh's when you're really not going to use it like that. Likewise, you don't want to do like Josh did and put in a couple of the wrong systems that don't really get you what you really want. So think about it up front. Really be honest about how you're going to use it and then design your system to achieve that mission. All right, uh... Gary, did we miss anything? Um, you're usually the voice of reason that kind of moderates things. Are we overselling auxiliary fuel, or, or uh, what do you think? No, again, I, I can really see the value with the higher power engines. You know, the, the Sonics was originally built on the Aero-V, which is, you know, 
thirty uh, percent more fuel efficient, at least than, than the Japanese or some of the other options. So, you know, with what I'm doing and the way it's designed, I get really healthy legs. You know, easily four hundred miles if I want to. Uh, I, at this point in my life, I don't see the point of putting in auxiliary tanks in mine uh, to try to get you know that thousand miles that I had once in my mall. Because again, with you know flying in the United States, there are just so many airports that are pretty handy. They just don't need that kind of that kind of range. But flying with you guys, when you guys had to set down after about two, maybe two and a half hours for fuel, I could see where that could be a little aggravating and, and concerning at some time. So I think it's worthwhile having the option. You know, I, I particularly like yours with the 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 portability and the and just the seat setting on it. But you know, Josh mentioned too. You know, in his particular case, the CG supported it. He figures that the system only weighed an extra 10 pounds, and I really have no problems carrying 10 pounds extra in, in the aircraft, even though you say you don't typically need it all the time. You know, people talk about, you know, don't put upholstery in, don't do this, don't add any creature comforts to it because of excess weight. You know, in, in my clinical experience and doing things, I don't find any real significant differences in our fuel flows or our average cruise speeds, you know, sure, if we're trying to do, you know, Formula One racings and we need every, you know, fraction of a mile per hour that can all make up. But, you know, another typical case, when I, I put the Tundra tires on my sign because I went with the uh, five by fives and I go pantless on mine. And again, my typical cruise speeds, which are on the economy side, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing no loss of airspeed and no increase in, in, in fuel flow. You know, I might, if I were to go full throttle, I think I dropped about three or four miles per hour. But in practical terms, uh, the way I fly in my missions, it, it's just not applicable. So there's really no reason to beat yourself up thinking you might have a few extra pounds if you really do want to do it that way. Good point. And um, it's a noble goal to try to reduce weight wherever possible. But you're right. Let's keep it in perspective. If uh, If 10 pounds gets you where you need to be it's probably not the end of the world and most of us could go on a diet josh and his light wife laura probably couldn't lose 10 pounds but you know i certainly could so well i could definitely lose 20 and be a hell of a lot happier but uh, the other thing i need to say jeff is my buddy tank on the passenger seat you can't do this with the dual stick because the uh, the dual stick will will uh interfere with the tank you can only do this with a uh, um, a center stick. Uh, I just got a, a couple of final wrap-up thoughts myself. Uh, we talked about the mission aspect. Uh, consider your mission carefully. I think we probably already hit that one pretty thoroughly. Next is don't settle for a poor solution. So think it through, refine your design, and get it to the point that you're really happy with it. Uh, if you don't have a solution that you really like and you enjoy using, you're just not going to use it. So push yourself to get something that that really works on all counts. Thoroughly consider your weight and balance effects and then go out and test it. Uh, You don't want to find out the hard way in a very inopportune time that you have a little bit of AFCG tendency or the handling gets a little squirrely and you've never experienced that before. That's not the time to be finding out. You need to consider it, run the numbers, and then go test and make sure that you know what to expect under the whole full range of your envelope and then lastly document your efforts there's a lot of people out there who are looking for good ideas they want to learn from the community at large and we should share that information with everybody 
And so, Josh, uh, we didn't really mention this previously, but you did a pretty good job documenting your thought process and your, your efforts and, uh, and putting it on your blog. So tell us a little bit about that. Oh yeah. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, you know, I, I love, I love sharing the, the knowledge share, you know, that's what really got me into the Sonics community is the forum has, has been such a great avenue for a newcomer like myself to, to immerse ourselves and learn. And, and so what, what I wanted to do was be able to, to give back where I can from some of my own customizations and experiences. And so I have the blog out there, um, that everyone's of course welcome to, to, to read. And I continue to try to update it with new creative ideas to, to continue to push the Sonics and the Sonics community to, to see what we can really do with these airplanes. And, um, and so it's, uh, it's out there to use. It's got weight and balance calculators and your, your amp draw calculators. So you can, as you think about your mission, uh, you know, make sure you've got everything covered. So you build a good, solid, safe airplane. And for anybody who has not been to your blog, uh, they ought to go take a look there because they'll get a little sneak peek at one of our future shows, which is homebrew air conditioning. Uh, we're going to have to circle back to that and hit that. Maybe a little bit later this summer when air conditioning is on everybody's mind. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. Yeah. The blog's out there. It's uh, obviously if you're on the forum, it's the address is on the bottom of my signature, but otherwise anyone can go out there at just sonicsironman.wordpress.com. All right. We'll put a link in the show notes to that also. All right. Well, uh, great deal uh, i appreciate you breaking down your system and, and sharing your thought process uh let's just uh, wrap this up so uh final thoughts i'll kick it over to you josh and then uh and we'll, we'll close this thing out yeah i think there's a lot of great options out there and and uh, as long as you have well thought out your mission and, and what the capacities uh you need and the limitations within your airframe based on uh, your configuration uh adding an aux tank can can really bring a lot of value to the Sonics aircrafts. And uh, I think everyone should uh, look at that and consider it. And if it doesn't meet your needs, then it, no, unnecessary to add complications to the airframe. But if it's something that'll get you to that destination safer, faster, uh, and more convenient, it, it, it's a great addition. And I'd recommend some form of aux tank uh, for those people looking for that range. All right. Well, thanks again, Josh. I, I appreciate you taking the time. And uh, I look forward to running in, into you at Oshkosh. I assume you're going to be there again this year. So Absolutely. I'll, I'll go find you on the flight line, and we'll uh, we'll have a beverage together. Sounds good. Looking forward to seeing everybody there. All right. Good deal. Hey, I just got a, a couple of quick uh, shout-outs here. So uh, we've gotten some pretty good feedback. and Most recently, uh, Dave Haran from, uh, from Down Under. He is Scratch Building Sonics 562. Uh, he sent a note to our, our feedback email, said he's uh, listening to the podcast and really enjoying it, and uh, he uh, his plane is on the gear and about ready to hang his engine. So I'll uh, be looking forward to seeing him get his plane all done and flying. So appreciate that. And uh, if you have ideas uh, or you just want to give us a little bit of constructive feedback, send them in. Appreciate seeing all that stuff. So, Dave, uh, keep up the good work, keep building, and uh, we'll look forward for your first flight here coming up. We already talked about Sun and Fun, so it's coming up uh, April 4th through the 9th. Gary and I are going to be there, barring any sort of weather disaster. And I think the tentative plan is that we'll be sitting around the campsite doing a, uh, a Sun and Fun podcast of some variety or another. I know that there's going to be uh, miscellaneous builders going to Sun and Fun, so it's kind of an open invitation on Friday night to come by the campsite, 
come find Gary and I and uh, do a live show with us. So that'll be fun. Looking forward to it. It'll be a blast. And there will be beer. So anybody that out there is, if that is the thing that you're you're not sure about, rest assured, we got you covered. We have a pretty thirsty couple of podcasters, though, so be prepared. <laughs> yeah, they might have to bring the snacks, but we got the beer covered. <laughs> All right. Well, good talk, guys. Uh, I really appreciate it. Josh, thanks again. Be safe when you're out there flying around the Chicagoland area. Absolutely. Shiny side up, rubber side down. That's how I like to land. <laughs> Good deal. Well, for anybody out there that um, wants to check us out on the website, it's sonicsflight.com, and the show notes are at sonicsflight.com slash 18. Of course, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes and Google Play and, and all those podcast apps. And again, uh, if you're new to podcasts, there's all kinds of great aviation podcasts. So do like I do, subscribe to a bunch of them, queue them all up and take them out to the hangar. And while you're scraping bug guts off you can be listening to cool aviation podcasts and then uh come send us an email uh feedback at sonicsflight.com or you can find the link on the website send us a note tell us what's on your mind tell us what topics you'd like us to do and we will get that into the rotation so with that thanks again josh gary look forward to seeing you this weekend john better get that shovel all tuned up all right guys have a good night we'll see you soon thank you have a great evening yep talk to you later all right Bye, guys. The views and opinions expressed on the Sonic Flight podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of any individual, company, or organization mentioned on this program. Nothing presented on this podcast should be construed to be the official position or recommendation of anyone not directly associated with Sonic Flight. Anything that sounds like advice should be carefully considered before being implemented. Remember, you are the pilot in command. Well, should we jump into uh, the podcast? Mm-hmm. Well, we normally just BS and then, uh, you know, just half-ass the podcast. So <laughs> that sounds good. We can BS is the best part. <laughs> can theorize on all the other uh, projects is, I'd like to play. This with. is a time-proven method. We BS up front. We, we do, beat uh, on half, Gary. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We do a half-ass podcast, and then we just we just tease each other at the end. So it all works yeah. out. I'm not sure how mine's going to come out tonight. I don't have a beer, so. Oh, well. We'll make it work. We'll fix it all in post-production. Okay. I, I don't know. i, I got to back up again, Josh. I'm, I'm kind of impressed. You can actually take you, your wife, an auxiliary tank, and carry her luggage? I, I'm just I'm flabbergasted. I just don't even know what to hardly say. <laughs> we don't have much room when we're flying it's a cozy trip but we make yeah, it work but when you take a woman and her luggage I, I, like i said I, it just caught me off guard i didn't know what to say for a <laughs>